always better to be in the know than not be in the know. Today is the 7th of February. Damn, this month is flying by, even though it's short. And it's like a really busy month, like I said it would. And it's pretty fire. Today we have the State of the Union, and we're going to have a lot of woke stuff shoved down our throat. It'd be great to see how we explain away the spy balloon. But while everyone wants to talk about that, I want to introduce you to a topic that's going to be super hot coming up very soon. And in order to be able to understand the topic, I think the most important thing that we can do as people is understand the people, understand the workings before the big drop. So you heard it here first, folks. Let's get going. But before we do that, let's enjoy um, uh, some musical montage. I think you guys will enjoy this. We don't talk about me, me, Joe, no, no. We don't talk about Joe, no. But it was my election day. It was our election day. We were getting ready. And there was a cloud in the sky. No clouds allowed in the sky. Brandon walks in with a mischievous grin. Thunder. You telling a story or am I? I'm sorry, we need to go on. Brandon says it looks like brain. Why did he tell me? In doing so, he floats my brain. Shot by like the umbrella. Collected in a hurricane. What a joyous day, but anyway. We don't talk about Sleepy Joe. No, no. We don't talk about Joe. No. To live in fear of Joe stuttering or stumbling I could always hear him sort of muttering and mumbling I associate him with the sound of fallen sand It's a heavy lift with a gift so humbling Always let Melania and the family fumbling Grappling with prophecies they couldn't understand Do you understand? Seven foot frame rats along his back When he calls your name It all fades to black yeah, he sees your dreams and feasts on your screams. We don't talk about Sleepy Joe, no, no. We don't talk about Joe, no. He told me my fish would die the next day, dead. No, no. He told me I grew a gut, and just like he said, no, he said, no. no. Oh, my hair would disappear. Now look at my head. No, no. Your feet is still when your prophecy is dead. He told me that the life of my dreams would be promised and someday be mine. He told me that my power would grow like the grapes that run from the vine. Oh, Joe Biden is on his way. He told me that a man of my dreams would be just out of reach. Be true to another. It's like I hear him now. I want. It's I like I hear him now. now. I can hear him now. Oh, Biden. About that Biden. I really need to know about Biden. Give me the truth and the whole truth about you. Shop around your boyfriend's here.
See, I have always said that frequency is a powerful tool. And sometimes music can either put us to sleep, enchant us, or wake us up. And, you know, I think we should just continue a little bit and have a little bit more fun. Because Maestro is kind of off the hook. I think it would be appropriate for us to see how President Trump has been telling us lots of this stuff is pretty unholy. They don't know daddy's getting hot at their body shop doing something unholy. And lucky, lucky girl, she got married to a boy like you. She'd kick you out if she ever, ever knew about the you told me that you do. Dirty, dirty boy, you know everyone is talking on the scene. I hear them whispering about the places that you've been. And now you don't know how to keep your business clean. Mommy don't know daddy's getting hot at the body shop. Doing something unholy He said back while she's dropping it She be popping it Yeah, she put it down slowly Oh, we got we all He left his kids at home We got we all So he can get that Mommy don't know Daddy's getting hot At the body shop Doing something unholy Daddy, daddy, if you wanna drop the penny, give me love, give me sending my Balenciaga. Daddy, you can need to back it up, cause I'm spending on rock video. You can watch me back it up, hot me on in the AM and he, he get me caught up, get me new, new like Rihanna. He always call me, cause I'm never cause a drama. And when you want it, baby, I know I got you covered. And when you need it, baby, just jump under the covers Mommy don't know Daddy's getting hot At the body shop Doing something unholy He said back while she's dropping it She be hopping it Yeah, she put it down slowly Party that we all He left his kids at home that we all So he can get that Mommy don't know Daddy's getting hot well, I think that was enough of music for today, but, you know, we should talk about some really unholy things, and holy is in whole picture. Uh, I have to say thank you to Garrett Ziegler for leaving my name out. This thing Hunter's not coming after me, but, you know, maybe that was purposeful by many, huh? The last thing you would want to do is pull out state secrets and pull out my name. You know how that works. Voldemort. It works so much in my benefit. So today we're going to touch upon a topic that hasn't been talked about, that Hunter Biden has provided us complete insight about. But to do that, we must introduce a few key players, key players in how it's happening. Now, before we get into it, I want you guys to revisit characters today that we know so well and that we forget. It's almost as if Hunter Biden himself said they're part of the deep state or cabal. <laughs> Don't quote me. It was one of the two statements that he said himself. Well, about who? Well, we'll get into that because it's kind of unholy. 
We all know that now with the tragedy that we have going on in Turkey, there are a lot of people heading in to Turkey. They're even demanding that Syria send aid. <laughs> Man, that U.S. aid. When is it going to stop? Now, I'll give you something to chomp on. Just like all programs, the CDC, Congress has a nonprofit CDC. And our global partners that have programs, I don't know, like the World Economic Forum or the World, World Food Program or UN Youth. Well, there's almost identical, but sometimes they put the name like U.S., you know, World Economic Forum, United States, World Economic Forum, America, World Food Program, America, U.S. World Food Program. They're all nonprofits. Which we all know what that means. Money in, money in the pocket. Ooh. Wash, rinse, and repeat. Picture washing machines that surpass the performance of any LG front loader with the pedestal. With settings like 10% to pop. And then Big Daddy is coming in. But we'll see like Big Daddy, Big Daddy, Big Daddy. Big Daddy. But before we get into that, I want to give you guys an insight of what you are going to see today at the State of the Union, aside from a well-scripted. First, you have to see, um, you know, what the National Library of Medicine has said. They say that an abortion is a procedure to end a pregnancy. It uses medicine or surgery to remove the embryo, fetus, and placenta from the uterus. The procedure is done by a licensed healthcare pro professional. Now, I pick this specific story um, because it's very close to me. Not a lot of people know, but my first pregnancy, I had twins. Hera was a twin. Her male um, sibling passed away. In fact, his water broke when I was about 29 weeks pregnant. Hera was a, a 30 to 31 weeker, right? Um, and so this startled me. And this is something you're going to hear about today during the State of the Union. So I thought that I would give you their story and I will dispel it because I've been in an identical situation. So let's take a watch. Thank you for inviting us into your literal home and your space and yes. being a part of this story. I was 18 weeks pregnant and on August 23rd, I went for a walk and I could tell that something was wrong. I messaged my OB. She discovered that I have or had something called an incompetent cervix, which basically means that I had dilated, obviously, way too early. And so she informed me that uh, miscarriage was inevitable. Both of us wondered, like, if this is inevitable, what's the next thing for us? What is our next course for healthcare? We asked our doctor and we asked the MFM and we asked all the nurses, you know, isn't there something you can do? And they said, no, 
I couldn't make the decision for myself. We couldn't make the decision for our daughter. Our doctors couldn't make the decision. I mean, they were just as furious as we were because their hands were tied. I mean, had they acted, they would have been charged with a felony. Being told that you're going to lose your baby and you just have to live with it for several days and there's nothing we can do. I was left, you know, wanting either to get so sick that my life is at risk or that my baby's heart stopped beating so that it could be over. One of the challenges is it's very difficult to travel from Austin. We also are bordered by many states that are just as fucked up as Texas is right now. So that was off the- So I wanted to pause for just a second. I'm a little bit confused because first of all, the body language tells me something completely different. This seems extremely uh, scripted. And not only that, if your water has broken, which happened in my case too, um, but in my case, um, her brother had already passed and I did get septic. Um, and the reason so was to maintain Hera inside the womb as long as I could um, to give her a better fighting chance. You would never think she was such a preemie. But it doesn't seem right. Because see, um, when you're in that situation, that is a medical procedure. What she was asking was to induce the abortion. And the doctor said no, because here's why. Sometimes the water breaks and it is what it is. Sometimes we drip. It doesn't mean that the whole water is broken. So this is some stellar. I mean, I wonder if Jill handed out a red envelope to them. The table, as soon as we knew that she could get sick, quickly or she could go into delivery quickly. I thought, okay, let's get this horrific thing over where I have to deliver my daughter 22 weeks early and then I'll go home and we can start the healing process. I don't think I understood at that point that I was septic, but I was, I knew that it was more sick than I was supposed to be. It was just so frustrating to, to be dealing with something so traumatic and then basically let's just gamble with the outcome of, of Amanda's life um, unnecessarily just made me so mad. One of the things that I just kept thinking about was what are, what's going to happen to all these other people? This is the best version of that story, is that I'm in the ICU for a week, but I didn't die. So, you know, you think about all of the people that aren't as fortunate as us and how it's gonna impact them. And all of the staff in the hospitals, everyone was talking about how, you know, these types of laws are not going to end abortion. It's just going to make it extremely dangerous and the mortality rate is going to skyrocket. I find the notion of pro-life as a talking point to be one of the most hypocritical things. What part of this has been pro-life? We went through 18 months of fertility treatment. So this is something that we wanted and something that we fought for. And we were 18 weeks in when this happened. And from that point on, 
there was nothing pro-life about what we were going through. Our baby um, had three or four days of suffering. Amanda had weeks of suffering, both physically and emotionally, because of this. You know, I don't, I don't think we could have saved the baby. That was evident, but we could have prevented a lot of additional pain. We named her Willow um, because willow trees are known for their strength. Even as I was getting sicker and sicker and the infection was taking over, she was a fighter. And, you know, we want to fight for her. This never should have happened to her. It shouldn't have happened to us. And we're going to take the strength that she had and that she planted in us and we're going to use it to fight because this has to change. So tonight you're going to get a full of it. How bad it is that we can't abort babies. And let me tell you something. For someone as old as her and, you know, her skin shows her age, done, right? She's probably not going to have kids, right? She's probably not going to have kids. She's probably not going to. She's trying fertility treatment. You know, obviously, if you've had abortions before, it's a lot more difficult. But this seems really bizarre because I've been in that situation where my actual son had passed, right? He had passed and then the water broke. And the doctor said, you know, to save your life, we will have to, because he was already passed on, induce birth. And he said, but the longer you can stay still and lay and we'll monitor you, we can keep your other baby in there so it can grow. And so I went through that. In fact, after his water broke, where she said three days later, that's exactly when I started to get septic. Um, and I fought. Um, it was May 16th of 2000 that I was told that um, this was happening and I was getting sick. That's why I had a fever. And um, I stayed and kept her there until uh, the 19th of May. Um, where, you know, she was removed by C-section um, to avoid any, you know, infections or whatever. And um, then, you know, every, uh, you know, she was sent to the NICU where she remained there until August of that year. And she was in the NICU in an incubator. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, it's something that I've been through and something doesn't add up with the story. Why would you be promoting abortion, right? Unless someone's paying for fertility treatment when you're begging to have, uh, you know, a child. And, you know, this baby suffered for days thing doesn't make sense. They did what was best for her because if she would have had an induced um, pregnancy or, or um, an abortion or, you know, a DNC, whatever she was asking for, it could have put her at risk to not be able to have kids again. And so, uh, you know, when I see people, um, you know, saying things 
so aloofly promoting the termination of pregnancy, especially for someone that doesn't have kids uh, and has been trying to. It's it's really bizarre. Um, it's really, really, really bizarre. And I don't buy this for a second. I think they were just angry that it didn't go their way. Her husband's super soy looking. Doesn't I'm just going to stop because I'm going to be mean, especially when people advocate for the death of babies. So that is going to be a preview of a few of the things that you're going to see uh, during the State of the Union. And obviously him telling you how, you know, I don't know, maybe he'll announce that we bought the Ukraine. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Now, I want to switch gears. So to switch gears, I thought we could do something fun. Maybe we can get up off our chairs and do the most amazing aerobics. I want to take a quick break so we can shift gears because we're going to get into the deep end in just a moment.
Champions. We are the champions. <laughs> Speaking of champions, I thought that, you know, maybe some of you want to bring back aerobics because that like disappeared in a minute. You know, all the thongs and the exercise and organized, you know, meets and, you know, dance contests. It's almost being phased out like cheerleading. I don't know how that's going because we still have NFL, so whatever. But um, <laughs> it's kind of odd. But speaking of champions, let's look at some amazing Medal of Freedoms that were handed out by Joe Schmo. It's really important that we do because... There you see where they get prizes. You know, I've written articles before where in different states they give different awards to people that keep their mouth shut. Um, and this is when I stopped listening to um, some guy. Oh, my gosh. Look at that. I even forgot his name. That's how insignificant he is. Oh, there it is. Scott Hennon in North Dakota got an award uh, that a lot of people get when they keep their mouth shut. Because it turns out it was given to the, you know, U.S. Marshal, the, the deputy U.S. Marshal. It was found to be a kitty diddler you know, or the Bismarck police chief, who was he a chief? Was he a chaplain, you know, hitting up little boys online, you know, stuff like that. And so when they get awards, you know where they go. Remember how Buffman got an award. I'm pretty sure Epstein probably got a medal of freedom. So why not? Let's give it to the champions, right? Because this is coming in full picture. Cindy McCain, accepting on behalf of John S. McCain III. John McCain was a giant among Americans from a family of patriots, a genuine hero who endured unspeakable torture as a prisoner in the war in Vietnam. A true public servant, elected twice to the U.S. House of Representatives and six times to the U.S. Senate by the people of Arizona, and nominated for the presidency by the Republican Party. Respected around the world, he was an eternal optimist who believed in consensus, character, and putting country first. His legacy continues to challenge us to cherish integrity and serve with courage and conviction. Wow, she's looking really manly lately. And um, she looks like she's pretty busy too, right? She's been a busy little bee. You know, as far as Ukraine, you know, when we we're going to be talking, you know what was really weird? If you guys remember the documentary, Enjoy the Show, there was Sonny Bono in there, huh? He's going to be at the State of the Union. And I'm like, why does Bono have to be at the State of the Union? How does Bono contribute to the state of our union? But, you know, it is a clown show. So why not bring all the clowns out? But anyway, let's let's focus on Ukraine a little bit and just remind ourselves of who this monster is. I think the the. What we need to be concerned with right now is is in the immediate needs, of course, of the people that are there that are in route or have already arrived in various parts of Europe now, not just Poland, but but other parts, and also um, uh, the long. We have to look at the long term. I mean, how do we now make it sustainable? Uh, you know, to be able to, to manage and to be able to feed people, uh, give them dignity of life, give them uh, a future. And that's a big job, and so all of our UN agencies are working together on this to, to not only not only 
work on the immediate needs, but work on the long-term plans of it. And it's, it's a huge problem, as you know. It's a big problem. They have a food crisis, very big food crisis. And then, you know, people should think, like, who is this woman? What you should know about her. Well, Cindy McCain, as you know, is the U.S. ambassador to the U.N. right now. She's going to be coming into focus. You should um, listen to her extended version of her conversation. It'll tell you a lot more to see what's coming. It's so incredible when you think that they do it right in your face. And no one seems to... Um, Tonight, I'm... Sorry, started that audio too quick. No one seems to be putting the puzzle pieces together. Almost like today, we saw that super secret account, either friend, you know, pop off a letter. And if you notice a couple days earlier, I was truthing and tweeting with misspellings intentionally because that's how you hide things about Yakov Applebaum. So weird. It's almost like I knew. Mm. Mm. Well, anyway, this is where you guys are going to be in the know. And the reason that I have my shows is to make sure that you understand what's happening. And if I already know what happens before it happens, then other people do too. Hence, why the peace that we should have, but the tenacity to actually fix things ourselves. Here we go. Take a listen carefully to what she says. In Jajuv, Poland. This is a city about an hour away from the border that has become a hub for all agencies which are trying to help out where humanitarian aid is concerned. You have to realize that there was nothing, no infrastructure here because, of course, it wasn't even close to a war zone about six or seven weeks ago. And so they've had to build up that infrastructure and use this city essentially as a conduit to get aid from other parts of Europe and from Poland all the way through to Ukraine. Because of that, the U.S.'s newly minted ambassador in charge of the U.N. programs uh, that are based in Rome was here today. That ambassador is Cindy McCain. If the name sounds familiar, it's because it probably is. Cindy McCain is the wife of late Senator John McCain, both of whom are, were and are, of course, very outspoken critics of Vladimir Putin. I had a chance to ask Ambassador McCain today about some Republicans who are no longer outspoken critics of Vladimir Putin, including former U.S. President Donald Trump. I also asked her about her visit here to Poland. Ambassador, real pleasure to meet you. I appreciate you. you making the time for this. Thank you. Uh, this is your first visit here since the, the outset of the war. Mm -hmm. Your initial impressions of, uh, you know, what has unfolded over the last month? Well, I first went to the reception center uh, here, or on the border, I should say, and uh, what I witnessed was the Polish people and the Polish government truly doing amazing things. They are so welcoming and so loving and caring of these of these refugees uh, that it's it's a lesson could could be learned worldwide by what the Poles are doing right here. Um, we, you know, we have like everyone saw people coming across, women and children. And what we're faced with now is uh, obviously the future of being able to feed people and being able to, to uh, make sure that they're safe and secure. Uh, there is one person that can stop this, and that's Putin. Uh, if Putin would make the move and stop the bombing and pull out, then, then this, huma this humanitarian crisis would not be. But here we are, we have this to deal with, and as always, the world is pulling together 
to to uh, help the help people in need, and and also put the pressure on Putin. It's been a massive scale up yeah, effort because really been. they yeah. started from ground zero. Yeah. They also have to continue to scale up. I mm -hmm. think that the lady was telling me that it's like, you know, they're hoping six million people right. eventually. Right. Do you think, based on your observations, that's going to be possible? Oh, I think it's going to be possible, but how, how we sustain it is a different, a different situation. Uh, Ukraine was the breadbasket of Europe and really the breadbasket of the world in many ways. And there are other areas of the world, I'll, for instance, Kenya, Madagascar, Ethiopia, Yemen, that are, that are in equal need, uh, but will have to, to go on half rations, have already gone on half rations because of this crisis. Um, this is something that it, it will have a ripple effect around the world, and people are going to starve because of this. And, and people are going to, to our most vulnerable, as always, take the brunt of this. And it's a tragic situation. Is it going to be, is it actually already a food security crisis? Oh, absolutely. It's absolutely a food security situation. Because, uh, you know, you have uh, corridors that are dangerous. For World Food wants to take food. They are taking food into Ukraine. And there are corridors, humanitarian corridors, that they should be able to do that. That isn't always the case. So, so respect for, for, for these corridors, respect for people who are in need is a large part of what this is all about. But yet, um, you know, we in the UN system, because that's where I come from in, in all of this, uh, all of our agencies are working on this. But, but the UN's very much in, involved in this. UNICEF's another one to make sure that these people are cared for and, that, and, and are safe. Because other issues spring up around my migrant flows like this. Yes, I was going to ask you just around the issue of getting the aid to Ukrainians and the issue of humanitarian yeah. corridors. Like you pointed out, all of it essentially rests with Putin, and right. so far he has not acquiesced in any sense yeah. in that manner. Yeah. He also uh, yesterday was promising his, you know, deputy defense minister to move Russian forces away from Kiev and Chernihiv, and we've seen the exact opposite happen in the last 24 hours. What does that tell you? Well, I, I think what it tells me that my job and what I do within the UN agencies and what, what I'm all about is going to be even more imperative. We need to worry about trying to get food and trying to, to make, keep people safe. I mean, it, you know, I'll leave the diplomacy to the diplomats, but I will tell you as a humanitarian, this is a crisis situation and, and we have to, to do everything possible to try to stop this. Uh, but in the meantime, People like Poland and other countries around the world have really stepped up to the plate to help help ease this situation as best they can. But it's going to be a long haul. You have long been, and I and I hope you'll uh, entertain the question, a critic of Putin and of Russia's the threat Russia poses. Uh, and uh, and Republicans have largely been on on the same page, though in recent months there have been a segment of them, largely supporters of former President Donald Trump, mm -hmm. who have instead, you know, advocated for pro-Putin messages, anti-Ukraine messages. What do you think about that? I think they ought to come here and take a look at what's going on. That's what I think. Uh, listen, we have to, again, I have to worry about the, kind, the, the amount of food, how we're going to to use food around the world, how we can better feed people who are, who are more vulnerable. Um, I'm not going to worry about what my party or any other party says. I'm worried about the immediate needs of people on the ground. Do you think, though, I mean, so much of what has been, if you could measure it as success from the West perspective, mm -hmm. is the unified front that has been presented, mm -hmm. right, against Putin. Mm -hmm. Lots of remarks about how it's more mm -hmm. unified mm -hmm. than ever before. 
when you have some voices like that in public, or even the former president himself, who yesterday in an interview said, uh, you know, advocated for Putin releasing any information on the Biden family, uh, though Putin is such an adversary, like the cracks, the cleavages that that then shows, is, mm-hmm. is that a problem? Well, I think I think any time there's not a united front, but that's therein lies what we are here for and why we're here. We have a united front. We the world has gathered together and and has condemned this action. There's one person that can stop, it, and that's Putin. Uh, and and the immediate needs need to be met. The long-term needs of being able to get people back into their homes as this wanes on, and hopefully the bombing and everything stops, is what's most important right now. Okay, Ambassador, I'll leave it there. Thank you Thank very much you. for your time. Hi, I'm Vashi Capello's host of Power in Politics. See more of our show by subscribing to the CBC News channel or click. Yeah, of course, because that's what you want to see more of this. Well, it's important for us to understand that the people that are heading the world food program right now are Chinese. So the Chinese are running the food programs, which is quite interesting, considering that her boss is Chinese. And the boss for all food across the world is Chinese. It's uh, pretty substantial, if you ask me. I hate that when that happens. I'm sorry. And I don't like the word hate. I loathe that when that happens. Now, one thing that they claim is that food shortages happen because of climate change, of course. Climate change is the driving factor as to why we have food shortages in South Sudan or anywhere else. I want you guys to listen to the $7 billion. Well, like I told you, there's uh, panels and there's nonprofits. And we're going to play a little bit of this because it tells you a lot. So the word <laughs> World Food Program USA had a panel. I suggest a lot of you go digging and find out just how much money is moved. Well, here it tells you it's $7 billion. You should see what they're doing with that $7 billion and who's talking. Let's go. It's really good to see all of you. Um, Welcome to this session. We are about to start in one minute's time. Does anyone have any questions for me before we start? Okay, that's amazing. What a great setup I must have done for all of you. Very good. So this panel is brought to you by WFP, the World Food Programme, USA. And I want to start with a scene setter so you can see what we're talking about, why we're all in this room, and why it's so important. Welcome, everybody, to the $7 billion F-word. Dim the lights. Yeah, not much clapping, is there? 
Not much clapping, is there? So I wanted to just give you an intro on this company, uh, simply just so that you can see that what you saw there was them cataloging human beings like we do, animals that we watch in the wild. They had children, if you notice in one of the scenes, getting fingerprinted, QR codes, and putting them on databases. Again, this is the World Food Program of the USA. You need to find that exact organization within the United States of America, which is a non-profit, a non-profit, a non-profit organization that is laundering more money than you know. And thanks to Hunter Biden, we know. Remember, the World Food Program in the USA, you know who sat on the board of that World Food Program USA non-profit? Hunter Biden. Can anyone tell me how and what experience Hunter Biden has huh? when it comes to World Food Program? He's very versed in money laundering through Sotheby's and Christie's and his own artwork, including uh, standing up as a front and taking money as per sitting on a board to get this money, when in turn it's going into his daddy's pocket. He's also familiar in negotiating the release of prisoners of war that the United States had captured in the Middle East. All these things, but there's nothing to see here, of course. So this World Food Program USA is a nonprofit. You should all start digging on that. That's where the story is considering that Hunter Biden sat on the board. And it's going to be in the news very quickly, considering that we all have the money going in there. Now, what's interesting is that two months ago, China, who we're fighting with, which is so weird, we're like super fighting with China, right? We have spy balloons, which was also in the video of the World Food Program of the USA, you saw a tethered uh, communications balloon. Um, <laughs> they look like weather balloons, don't they? See, they tell you everything right in your face. It's almost like they're mocking you. Well, while people are telling you things like, oh, they're turning on Joe Biden. Let's talk about the State of the Union. As I promised, I will leave out the unnecessary news. I will be providing you the actual news that will be upcoming, that is necessary to know. That way, you don't fall into the fear of porn. That's what's important. Now, everyone else is on a script. So you can choose to watch the script or watch the directors at work. So let's see about China because there's a lot of questions. See, someone had shared and I, I forgot where I saw it. it was on TikTok, Twitter. I forget because people clip some of my content, unlike some people that just lurk around waiting for me to do a show so they have something to talk about. Now, those are the sad people, but there are people that share specific clips of my content that are important. And one of them was the one that I was telling you, there are no wars. We are not at war. I can't stress this enough. We are at war per this construct, but they all sit at a table and they've already organized this. And I want you to think the last time you sat down with team members 
and how to fight. This is exactly what you're seeing now too. People that are more senior in the group are demanding things. Other people don't want to segue. And then you have others that are trying to be up and coming big boys, big gals, big boys, whatever. I will demonstrate that to you. Because if China is such a big enemy, then why would this be happening? So it's in Chinese, but you guys are looking at, um, you know, the visuals. <laughs> so interesting, these visuals. I mean, they almost look insane, right? They look insane. But um, the head of the World uh, Food Program is actually Chinese. <laughs> so, um, you know, Gutierrez is now striking down, you know, his UN head against disinformation. He demands that. And so we need to place better people as heads of UN programs, of course. <laughs> UN programs in Rome, food programs. Uh, I can't stress it enough. How the GOP is one in the same as the DNC is one in the same with these globalists. I can't stress it enough, but you're going to see it yourself. There's nothing like truth to liberate everyone. So that was enough for our Learn Chinese with Tori lesson. But as you can see, the pictures speak a thousand words. It's so weird how China's an enemy. Yet the UN loves China, that they have a secondary food program. It's so bizarre. It is so bizarre. I, you have to admit, it is very bizarre. But, you know, I think it's better if we look at, um, I think this one has, um, let me see. Let me see. I think this one's in English for you. Because I was just looking into this, putting together a little spiel. And um, let me see. Hold on a sec. Yeah, there it is. It's in English. You guys need to see who's in charge and who, well, who's going to be nominated in charge for Biden. <laughs> Hi, you're watching Global Link and Wang Chang at CNC headquarters in Beijing. Today, I'm very delighted to be joined by Dr. Chu Sixi, representative of the United Nations World Food Program in China. Together, we'll be talking about issues covering agricultural technology, food security, and poverty reduction, all under the framework of South-South cooperation. Hello, Dr. Chu. Welcome to our show. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so let's first start off with a question on South-South cooperation itself. We know the United Nations Day for South-South Cooperation falls on the 12th of September each year. So just briefly, what is South-South Cooperation and uh, what kind of a role has the WFP been playing in it? Well, actually, South-South and Cooperation is a partnership among equals, which usually involves a learning process or transfer of expertise to develop skills and capabilities. It aims at um, promoting solidarity and mutual benefits, learning and uh, innovation among developing countries whose characteristics and challenges and areas of opportunities are quite similar. 
WP is one of the UN agencies actively mainstreaming South-South cooperation and aims at achieving SDG2 particularly, uh, ending hunger, and achieving food security, and improved nutrition. Thanks, Dr. Chu. Uh, we know there's something called the Jintao technology, uh, which has proved to be a success story in poverty alleviation. And the application of that technology has been an integral part of South-South cooperation for many years now. So, but I guess for many, including myself, this is still a very new concept. Uh, so what is Jintao technology and how has it been uh, used to boost South-South cooperation? Jintao technology and is invented by Chinese scientist Professor Lin Zhanxi from the Fujian Agriculture and the Forest University. It originally actually features a grown nutritious mushroom using chopped grasses without cutting trees. But now, of course, Jintao technology serves environmental protection and the production of mushroom and forage, fertilizer, biomass energy, and fiber stuff. Over time, and Jintao technology is believed to demonstrate quite well great potentials in achieving food security and supporting the implementation of SDGs. WP endeavors to promote this technology to benefit more developing countries through South-South cooperation. A lot of the countries participating in South-South cooperation are actually in the tropics. Uh, many of them, uh, we know, uh, rely heavily on rice and this particular plant known as cassava as their main source of food and income. And I've heard, uh, Dr. Chu, over the past few years, uh, the WFP together with experts from China have been working to, to, to enhance the value chain of the two crops uh, in many parts of the world to improve local people's livelihoods. Can you please tell, tell us a bit more about that? Yes, indeed, in many developing countries, cassava and rice are stable food, playing a key role in their food security. WP China has been promoting smallholders' capacity of cassava and rice value chain in developing countries. WP's efforts on tropic cross value chain development could be traced back decades ago. In 2021, and WP entered a strategic partnership with the China Academy of Tropical Agricultural Sciences, aiming to broaden and our South-South cooperation reach in tropical regions. Currently, cassava value chain project led by WP is right on track in the Republic of Congo and extended to other countries in Mid and West Africa as well. Rice value chain is also a major focus for WP in Africa, Latin America and other regions. WP China has been supporting country pilot projects in Ecuador, for example, and for integrated farming system of rice stock raising since 2019. WP hosted a seminar in this June, of course this year, on China-Africa rice value chain enhancement, aiming to bring stakeholders together for strategic advancement for rice production, processing, and marketing. And we're also supporting a rice value chain initiative in collaboration with the UN Office for South-South Cooperation in West Africa, especially for post-harvest loss treatment, processing, and storage. Thank you. Uh, domestically, we know China is committed to eradicating absolute poverty and achieving common prosperity. On an international level, China is uh, a staunch advocate of the building of community with a shared future for mankind. 
so Dr. Chu, I'm wondering, do you think China's own experience with uh, eradicating poverty at home, some of its policies, practices or measures, uh, could somehow be applied under the framework of South-South cooperation? Just are there any examples of that? Well, in the, this area of you know, poverty alleviation, China sure is a shining example and a model example in the world. It's a miracle that an absolute poverty and has been eradicated by the end of 2020 through sustained and unremitting uh, efforts, meeting the UN 2030 target for poverty reduction, and 10 years ahead of the schedule. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres and acknowledged this success of China's anti-poverty campaign and called it the most important contribution to the global poverty reduction course. But China has a wealth of experience in poverty alleviation. For example, under government-led program and broader social participation and policy innovation and pairing arrangement, excellent monitoring and evaluation mechanism, and emphasis on science and technology. But as just now I mentioned, the poverty reduction is one of the four priority areas of our South-South cooperation engagement of China office. Then China has too many excellent cases of poverty alleviation. Actually, since 2018, WP China has been working together with the China.org.cn, International Poverty Reduction Center in China, FAO, EFAD, and other partners to globally solicit and share the best practices of poverty alleviation, including many from China. Thank you very much, Dr. Chu Sisi. It's been a real honor and pleasure talking to you. Thank, Thank you. you. It's a great pleasure for me. Thank, Thank you. you very much. The overlords of food, according to the UN, are the Chinese, and they're really helpful uh, with food, though their criminals, um, you know, aren't fed. Their citizens aren't fed. I mean, they even harvest organs, which I made a big stink about when they lowered the age of organ donation, because now we see that in Massachusetts, a prison is offering a reduced sentence for people that volunteer their organs. Get the fuck out of here. Hey, give me your kidney and I'll shave off 10 years from your murder sentence. You see how that works? See, they make it so, oh, they have a choice until it's mandatory. Like you had a choice to wear one mask, two masks, 100 masks until they made it mandatory. You had a choice to get a vaccine until they made it mandatory. You'll have a choice to give your liver or your kidney. Mm -hmm. You want to get out of jail, right? You see how that works? The Chinese are dictating almost everything. And like I've said, like I have said before, China is not an enemy that will come aggressive. Hence the balloons, totally not Chinese. They were totally ours because they are patient. All they do is infiltrate. We saw the infiltration begin over three years ago when Netflix was inundated with Chinese telenovelas, which I so enjoy because they seem so pure and so loving. And I'm kind of glad that they put the Korean stuff because Koreans, damn, man, they're very creative. Hollywood and Bollywood, they got nothing on the South Koreans. I'm just saying. But having said that, China, 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 enemy China, but China's in charge of everybody's food. Here's another one we had talked about a long time ago about the START agreement that I was very concerned about that President Trump, uh, you know, was not discussing. Putin had raised it. And what that is, is 
nukes parked in space or in the stratosphere, ionosphere, whatever sphere, right? So think about this. If the Russians are so much our enemy and everything happened to Ukraine, then why has this happened over the past couple months with a surprising twist? Let's walk down the news segment. Let's see. So our astronauts, our amazing astronauts were stranded in space. So the Russians said, we will send rescue to rescue people in the ISS. But wait a minute. You're shooting down Ukraine. You're like a total enemy. The whole world hates you. Okay. But okay. Thanks. Uh, a stream of particles coming out of the uh, Soyuz. Like a car with a blown radiator, the Soyuz spacecraft has no way to cool down. Particles of what could be uh, coolant fluid. The ship lost all of its coolant in December after a direct hit from a microscopic micrometeoroid while docked at the International Space Station. Russia's space agency now says the capsule is unsafe, which is bad news for the two Russians and one American who are expecting to ride the Soyuz back to Earth after months in orbit. Basically, their lifeboat has a serious enough problem that they can't trust it to bring them home. Former Canadian astronaut Chris Hadfield flew aboard a Soyuz capsule for his mission commanding the ISS. If your ship has no way to provide cooling, you can rapidly get to the point where human beings can no longer function. Space is a dangerous place, and this situation is now extra risky because there are actually seven people on board the space station from two different crews. Suddenly, there's no option for everyone to escape in an emergency. The station's only other lifeboat seats just four. In February, Russia plans to launch an empty Soyuz to bring the men back, which will delay the launch of the next ISS replacement crew by months. Three will come home, the other four will get some unexpected extra time to enjoy the view, and all things considered, they're likely not complaining. Oh, it's, it's, uh, it's like a gift. All it does is give those three people uh, a greater chance to do what they've trained their whole lives for. Jackson Prosco, Global News, Washington. I just have one comment on that clip. A Canadian astronaut. <laughs> okay. So I wonder if he went anywhere. But let's um let's take a look at this um ISS rescue mission uh that was reported uh three weeks ago. Okay? Three weeks ago. So we're going back in time. Here's the same report. This is just a little bit extra. No Canadian astronauts. NASA and the Russian space agency Roscosmos will be sending an unmanned spacecraft to the International Space Station next month. The State Commission has decided to launch the Soyuz MS-23 spacecraft in February in an unmanned mode and with cargo delivery to the ISS. The mission of Russian cosmonauts Sergei Prokopiev and Dmitry Peterlin, as well as NASA astronaut Frank Rubio, has been extended. They will return with the MS-23 spacecraft. The trio took off for the space station last September and was scheduled to return home in March. But the vessel was struck by micrometeoroid in December, causing it to leak coolant, with dramatic NASA images showing white particles streaming out of the vehicle. 
The strike caused no immediate threat to the crew, who are said to be safe on board the station, although the leak did cause temperature spikes in the cabin compartment. Space has remained a rare venue of cooperation between Moscow and Washington, especially since the start of the Russian offensive in Ukraine and Western sanctions on Russia. So we're sanctioning Russia because of what they're doing in Ukraine, right? But we're not scared of them enough to be like, yo, you're not allowed to be there. So altogether, just so you know, um, the solar panels that are on the ISS, they can actually provide electricity to provide more power than that to 40 homes. Okay. I just want you to understand the power that sits within these machines. Now, what's really weird is after Ukraine and everything, Russia. <laughs> the Russians and the Americans will all hang out together in the ISS for another year, according to news as of recently, like just yesterday. So what is weird is that, you know, if the solar arrays that they have, here's, here's my question, right? Um, if the solar arrays that they have have power, you know, and they have more power than the station needs, then when the station is full of sunlight, 60% of that electricity that um, the solar panels collect charge the batteries. Now, there are certain times that all of the solar arrays are in the shadow of the earth, right? So that way, they're in the shadow, they don't have electricity. So that means that those arrays are not collecting sunlight. The batteries um, power the station when it's not in the sun, right? So if the arrays are supposed to be collecting power, but they have more power and they're carrying reserves, then what are the arrays really doing when they're in the shadow over the earth is the question because these contain supposedly over 260,000 solar cells and i'm just going to kind of say this and the 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 width of of the payload which is like the opening up of all the satellite things is that like it springs and it's longer than you know, the the big 777s, you know, with the lying in beds, um, Boeing airplanes, it's like bigger. Um, and it's over, you know, I think it's, it would be like 66 meters, I think. And so the electrical power system is connected by eight miles of wire. And I, the question is, is that 258 people from 20 different countries have gone to the ISS top persons participating well three times more americans than russians so for you know for every 150 americans there's 50 russians that go and it's research and whatnot they're checking out modules or whatever in 2022 um russia it was in the summer they announced that they're going to withdraw from the iss space station after 2024 now when this whole ukraine thing happened everyone was like sanction this sanction that sanction this but for some reason, they're not being banned from space wars, considering that that gives them access to their, you know, uh, nukes. So it's a really bizarre thing. Now, who's coming to the rescue to rescue them? Well, here's a cute video that I found. And it's so weird because it's a dragon that's going to save them. All that a recent Soyuz spacecraft leak left Russian, Russian cosmonauts stranded in orbit. If an emergency evacuation from the ISS is required due to an unexpected event, they do not have access to transportation back to Earth. As a result, a SpaceX Dragon spacecraft was altered in orbit so that it might possibly fit an additional astronaut returning to Earth. How is SpaceX accomplishing this amazing feat? 
A Russian cosmonaut set to travel to the ISS in Elon Musk's Crew Dragon capsule? How many are flying in the SpaceX Crew Dragon capsule? Is it accurate to say that the first Russian to fly SpaceX's Crew Dragon capsule will be the sole female cosmonaut on the country's active roster? Let's look into it. On January 18th, NASA's Crew-5 mission was carried out by SpaceX's Dragon spacecraft. Each vehicle has a connection to the ISS. Last month, the Soyuz, also known as MS-22, experienced a coolant leak after what appeared to be a micrometeor or debris collision. The spacecraft is not suited for astronauts to return to Earth other than in an emergency. On February 20, the MS-22 crew, which comprises Rubio and the Russian cosmonauts Sergei Prokopiev and Dmitry Patelin, will use an unmanned Soyuz launch from the orbiting lab to return to Earth. The MS-22 can still be used as a lifeboat if something catastrophic happens to the ISS before the next Soyuz arrives. Because of its degraded condition, the MS-22 seats must be lined because it can only carry two astronauts, not three. The following message was added to the NASA website on Friday, January 13. The modification improves crew safety by lowering the heat load on cosmonauts within the MS-22 spacecraft. Only four astronauts make up Crew-5, including NASA's Josh Cassata and Nicole Mann. Therefore, in the event of an emergency, Prokopiev and Patalin will return to Earth. However, because Dragon capsules have accommodation for up to seven passengers, Rubio can fit aboard if necessary. The ISS received MS-22 in September for a six-month mission. Rubio, Prokopiev, and Patalin, however, are more likely to remain twice as long in orbit. Frank, Dmitry, and Sergei will remain aboard the ship until they return home in a few more months. Dina Contella, manager of NASA's ISS Operations Integration, revealed this information at a press conference on January 17th, estimating that it will most likely occur in late September. At this time, the vehicle would be intended to return home on that day, she said, though we are still examining the precise timing of that. If Rubio, Prokopaev, and Patelin return to Earth in March on this new vehicle, the ISS would remain understaffed until a shoddy Soyuz could be prepared for launch. The SpaceX Crew-6 mission is slated to launch next month and bring four more astronauts to the ISS. However, Embark Crew-5 will make its way back to Earth a few days after the arrivals. Therefore, let's examine the Space Crew Dragon in more detail. Elon Musk's SpaceX created the Crew Dragon primarily to carry astronauts to the ISS. It was put in place as a part of NASA's aim to reduce its reliance on Soyuz spacecraft built in Russia in favor of using American companies for space station flights. Additionally, the Russian invasion of Ukraine has increased tensions to an all-time high. It has led the international space community to give up further collaboration with the country. Elon Musk claims that the main goal of his groundbreaking enterprise SpaceX has always been human spaceflight. His wish was fulfilled when the Crew Dragon spacecraft carried NASA astronauts Bob Binken and Doug Hurley into orbit in preparation for a rendezvous with the ISS. It was the first unrefined aircraft to take off from American soil since the shuttle's retirement in 2011. As of September 2021, in addition to its regular schedule of flights to the orbiting station, Crew Dragon was used for fully private missions that launched amateur astronauts into orbit. Musk's spaceship was based on the Dragon 1 spacecraft, which has been launched 20 times on missions to deliver supplies to the ISS. Musk unveiled the seven-seat Crew Dragon design during a ceremony in May 2014 at SpaceX's headquarters in Hawthorne, California. Its architecture is similar to the Apollo command modules that carried people to the moon. From launch until just before re-entry for emergency aborts, the trunk is linked to the capsule. 
It has cargo capacity, assistance fins, solar panels, and heat removal radiators. Together, the capsule and stem have a combined height of around 8.1 meters and a diameter of roughly 4 meters. While in orbit, the Crew Dragon's 16 Draco thrusters are employed to steer the craft. Each Draco is capable of exerting 90 pounds of force in the absence of gravity. If something goes wrong during launch, the capsule has a Launch Escape System, or LES, which consists of eight 16,000-pound Super Draco engines. Thanks to the LES, Crew Dragon promptly separates from its rocket. According to SpaceX engineer John Federspiel, the company wanted Crew Dragon to feel like a spaceship of the 21st century inside. He claims that the Dragon's inside touch displays are certainly one of its most distinctive characteristics. They were created with both outstanding functionality and the user experience in mind. The first people selected to join the crew of the Dragon were Hurley and Beacon. With SpaceX, they worked carefully to prepare the crew capsule for its historic flight in May 2020. Significant contributions were made by the two crew members who had previously traveled on the shuttle. Hurley agreed that getting used to the touchscreens took some time. He contends that the touchscreen cannot provide the same level of genuine tactile feedback. However, you do receive a return light on the screen that lets you know where you touched and tells the astronauts whether the machine correctly processed their input. Hurley says, for occasions where astronauts may need to take actual physical control of the normally autonomous vehicle, the touchscreen controls are more than enough. One example would be subsequent spacecraft docking. According to Beacon, you might not want to use it if you were suiting up and trying to fly an entrance or descent, like what we could achieve with the space shuttle. The astronaut spacesuits are one of the subjects that has gotten the most attention with respect to Crew Dragon. The contemporary tailored outfits are an evolution of older trends. However, they still serve the same primary purpose, preventing the crew from becoming depressurized due to the capsule's air loss. According to SpaceX's Chris Trigg, manager of spacesuits and crew equipment, the suit is essentially a small part of the broader Dragon system. Crew Dragon has three different seat sizes with foam that is moldable to the shape of the astronaut's body to make the travel to and from orbit as comfortable as possible. As they get ready to buckle their seatbelts, the astronaut's cetus umbilical cord is attached to a connector on their spacesuit's right thigh. The suit's electrical and air connections, as well as other life support systems, are supplied through the umbilical. The crew of the Dragon spacecraft blasts out from Florida's Kennedy Space Center, reaching orbit on a specially modified Falcon 9 rocket from SpaceX. In the event of a launch pad emergency, the launch escape mechanism will activate. Parachutes will be used to safely return the astronauts to Earth. The Dragon's crew splashes down in the Atlantic Ocean, 450 kilometers off the Florida coast. From there, they will be brought to safety, and the spacecraft will be retrieved by rescue ships. Once SpaceX has completed its third human-only journey to the International Space Station, the spacecraft can then be updated. The Falcon 9 launchers and recycled Crew Dragon spacecraft are now authorized to carry astronauts by NASA. According to SpaceX, the Dragon Lab is a variant of the Dragon designed for unmanned, non-NASA, non-ISS missions. It was developed for research and testing in microgravity without reference to the ISS. Although it was scheduled for two flights, one in 2016 and the other in 2018, it has not yet been utilized. In May 2014, the Dragon version 2 capsule, a more severe kind, was released. The Dragon V2 is designed to be a manned ship with space for up to seven crew members. It was always meant for dragons with human forms. It is made to last for a number of uses before needing renovation. It was also built with safety in mind, and as a result, its unique launch escape system is meant to allow the crew to seek safety at any time. 
not just in the first few minutes after launch. The escape strategy is not abandoned as swiftly as most others when anything goes wrong. The Dragon V2 will be propelled by eight Super Draco thrusters, which are Draco thrusters with considerable upgrades mounted in pairs on each wall. Those engines would be able to drive the spacecraft away from harm's way if something unfortunate happens. Each of the Super Draco engines, which would be used to propel the spaceship with the precision of a helicopter, would be powered by a different engine. It has a maximum thrust capacity of 16,000 pounds of force, or 71 kilonewtons, while landing on Earth or another planet. This would make it possible to travel to planets that are currently only accessible by ocean landings. That's all for today's video. What do you think about Musk's insane dragon upgrade? Comment below. We don't need to comment below. But I think that the visuals and what you heard are quite interesting. Now, before we wrap up with what you need to know and what they want you to know, uh, let's take a quick break. Toxic. Unholy things are so toxic. <laughs> Balenciaga daddies and all, right? Well, it's going to get a little bit more toxic. You remember during the elections, there was a lot, a lot of disinformation. And the one problem that we had was discerning what was true and what was false. We had such really good people giving us information, such great personalities, such propped up people. They were gods when it came to elections. <laughs> I mean, it's not like they did the fixing. I did. I've helped with the fixing. You can take that to the bank or not. As Pelosi says, you could take that to the bank. But having said that, the one thing I've learned in my life is to pay attention to things. And I hope that I convey that to many of you. Perception is how you win, not with what is actually going on. Now, I'm going to let you ponder on this. Just like you wouldn't trust many things of Republicans to do for you, like actually select someone for nomination that you want rather than who they want, right? You should see who the face of the Republican Party is, the person that's telling you what the future of the Republican Party is. Now, imagine if they had control of the world's food program. I want you to take a think of that. As you watch and listen, I want you to think how you would feel if this person was in charge of food. Former President Trump's impeachment trial may be over, but what lies ahead for the Republican Party is still a question mark. This morning, Lee Cowan is in conversation with Cindy McCain, wife of late Republican Senator John McCain. I still suffer from a little bit of, um, you know, f feeling not adequate sometimes, you know, like, oh, who would listen to me kind of thing. But they do. I know. I know they do. And I'm grateful for that. Cindy McCain. Thank you. She's no stranger to the sway her last name brings in politics. Most people say, why isn't she the candidate? My wife, Cindy McCain. For nearly four decades, 
During her husband's life of public service, she was right there by his side, including his two runs for the White House. She lost Senator John McCain in 2018 to brain cancer. The man who was never president was mourned by several. What do you miss most about him, you think? Oh, gosh, I miss the... I never thought I would say this. I miss the chaos in the house because when his he chaos? Would, yeah, his chaos. When he would walk in the door, and I mean that in a good way, it's good chaos. There was always action happening. There was always something. I miss that. I miss the commotion. And I miss, I miss his partnership and his friendship and his love. And it's, you know, you just, um, it's day by day. And with his passing, it's been said the Senate lost its conscience, too. So where is the moral center now without him? We're going to find it again. It swung right now. Our side has swung way to the right. It'll come back. It'll come back. To see just how far that political pendulum has swung, she says, look no further than former President Trump's second impeachment trial. His acquittal on the charge he incited the insurrection at the Capitol was proof, she says, that the GOP is in danger of becoming a party defined by the personality of one man. We have got to overcome this. We have to, not just as a party, but as a country. We cannot allow this. Do you think there'll be a split within the party? You're probably, maybe. I know something's going to happen. I know that much. Or our party's dead if we don't. What do you think the senator would have done if he'd been there? Oh, oh, he would have gone in the hall and started fighting. I mean, he absolutely, <laughs> he wouldn't have hidden. I guarantee you he wouldn't have gone to the safe room. I'm not suggesting there was anything inappropriate about going to the safe room. But, but just, he was a fighter. He would never have stood by and let that happen. He just wouldn't have done it. Cindy McCain, wife of the late Republican Senator John McCain, is endorsing Joe Biden for president. Months before the attack, she felt so strongly she publicly urged her fellow Republicans to turn their backs on the Trump wing of the party and vote for Joe Biden for president instead. It was obviously a decision you didn't take lightly. No, I didn't. Right? No, no. I, I thought about it a great deal and prayed about it, and I could no longer sit back and yell at the television set, set like, like everybody, everybody else. Who would you pray to? complain about doing, doing something. And so I did it. The only thing I knew, and that was to support him. There have been whispers out there about a possible mm -hmm. role in the administration, mm -hmm. would you be open to something like that? I want to do whatever the president wants me to do. If he comes back and suggests, look, we need you here, I want you to do something, of course I will. You can't turn down, you know, when a president says to you, we need you. The McCains and the Bidens have been friends for a long time. It was First Lady Jill Biden who actually introduced John McCain to the then Cindy Lou Hensley back in 1979. You know, people underestimate the wives so much. And as a woman, and y'all ladies out there know what I'm talking about, we can lay low as much as needed, and then we strike. See, what people don't understand is Jill Biden, before she was with Biden, um, she was like matchmaking, almost like the way they matchmake Jackie to JFK, you know. So now this woman promoted um, Biden. She is trying to reform the GOP. Like many people that are like, I'm going to go to the select committee and I'm going to get, <laughs> you're not going to do shit. Okay. 
This was the last election that we should be worrying about parties. And I really wish that a lot of people had jumped on that. Mm -hmm. There is a very unholy alliance in D.C. And I have urged that to many senators and congressmen a couple weeks ago with a a few, um, I would say, written correspondence. Because some pants need to be falling down. Now, how do you feel about the woman that made McCain? Again, remember, McCain was just a loser pilot. A lot of people be like, what? He's a songbird. But when he came home, he left his handicapped wife for her. Because that's what every stellar guy does. He comes home. And when his wife is sick, he abandons her for her. It's called handler. I'm just stressing the er. Because we're going to see a reverse, a rewind, and we're going to see exactly how all of this pans out. This is what's really happening. And while many of you are going to be like, well, Tori, you talk to this person. You've showed us this person. You've been with this person. You showed support for this person. Maybe. Or maybe I was just shining light. Or maybe they flipped. Or maybe sometimes it's best to just have them in the spotlight so that we can see better. Now, let me tell you how this is going to pan out. Probably at the State of the Union, we're going to hear about how white supremacists are now now targeting our energy grids. It's white supremacists that are going to give us the blackouts, not the Chinese, not the Russians. Ha! Not your own government. See the Russia nuke in the water of the Atlantic to sink the UK and New York didn't work. The fake Chinese balloon didn't work. So now we're going to white supremacists are targeting your energy grids. In fact, a woman named Sarah Beth Clandaniel was arrested in Maryland along with her conspirer, Brandon Russell from Florida. Both of them were having conversations of how they wanted to sniper shoot uh, power transformers and whatnot so they could, you know, take them out. And apparently there's mass violence against communities of color, even genocide against non-white peoples, and they want to take their power out. I kid you not. That's a real thing. That white supremacists want to turn off your power. Almost like the fake-ass story of Antifa being at J6. Almost like the fake-ass story of BLM construing and creating J6 when we all know it was Roger Stone's plan in the beginning. Who created them all? See... The problem is, is that you know how a mission's going to happen when you're on a boat dependent on the captain. And when I saw the captains of the ship be replaced in December of 2020 with all these, this uprise, ha, I knew that ship was a Titanic. Why? Because <laughs> the big gaping hole on the side. And the big gaping hole is everybody knows exactly where you said. And a bunch of these people are still surrounding my president. And that's the unfortunate thing, because unfortunately, people still show support to these people. Funny story. Really funny story. So I was having a couple conversations with sources and friends, and it was like, I kid you not, 
people that I consider quite important said these exact words. It's almost like the cat's out of the bag. Remember how I said Roger Stone's thirsty and he doesn't talk to President Trump, right? A lot of people that I work with that a lot of people don't know I work with turn around and said, you know, Roger Stone hates you. Those exact words. It's like, why Roger? Because I'm the only one calling you out and you're fucking bullshit. <laughs> you haven't seen anything yet. The deals that have been cut with the FBI and the DOJ are just about to go in the toilet. Every single one of them down in the toilet. You guys file those FOIAs, right? Look at who is trying to help get Julian Assange out. Absolutely nobody. Because like I said, Roger Stone could have done that. He could have said, hey, my name's in that box. I want to see what's in there. Give it to me. But he didn't. He's too busy milking data from Mike Lindell, running him dry. Doesn't matter. I'm like, whoa, was that a hawk that just went by my window? What the? Whoa. Um, it's circling the square. That's so weird. Oh my gosh, it's an eagle. It was right by my window. That is so cool. Ah, I wish I had everything on camera already. I would have shown this. Damn it. That's so dope. It was like right there at my window. So big too. So big. The wingspan was huge. It was massive. It's, it's a bald eagle. Oh my gosh, it just circled. What is it doing in, Cle in downtown? Cle this is crazy. Balls that transform into Chinese-looking drones and an eagle. Damn. Hey. All right. So to finish this off, just uh, for the show today, I just want you guys to know that um, there's, some, there's some stuff going on. And your FOIA requests give a tickety-tick-tock on the clock that the FBI has to respond to you within 20 days with your open records request. Oh, and I was saying, that's right. He's milking data from Mike Lindell, selling it to Alex Jones, and InfoWars is getting your data and giving it. And it's all about selling and reselling your data. That's how they make money. I'm telling you this right now. He is milking the crap out of anyone he can. It's all about money. And it is so horrible. So horrible. So horrible to see that. And it's done so blatantly. And you know what? Most of these reporters or independent journalists that claim to be about freedom, they're not helping with Assange because Roger Stone tells them to. He commands a lot of these people. They think that he has power. Hey, Roger. You have zero power because I already know the deal you cut with the feds. So the deal that many of them have, kind of like Ali Akbar, they're cooperating witnesses so they don't get locked up, but they will. You've been pardoned and for one thing, not another. The you've been cleared for J6 is only temporary. It was one scope of the investigation. The real investigation starts when real investigations actually start. Because if real investigations actually started, then Ray Epps would have been asked more questions. Ray Epps could also shine a light on Roger Stone's agreements. I mean, considering he's 
domestic counterintelligence, counterterrorism, the domestic counterterrorism of the CIA, which isn't law enforcement, but they're the ones that are handing out all these agreements of silence and just be our eyes and ears. It's quite fascinating. And the only reason that this happens is this. They made a big boo-boo. Sometimes, you know, it would have been, I think, some people wish they had, I don't know, a turning piece so they could turn back time a little bit and say, maybe we shouldn't go after Millie Weaver. Maybe we should embrace Millie and Tori. Maybe we should embrace Millie to be able to embrace Tori. <laughs> and obviously, it was me and Gavin that were friends first. But they could have. And a lot of them are regretting it right now. But it's okay. It's almost over. It's only a little bit more. The people are getting things done. And that's how it's done with the actual information. What you're seeing is a show. There are no wars. The earthquake was created. For anyone saying that we don't have stomp technology, you have no idea. And I was actually thinking of doing um, a stereo or a Twitter space with Millie later or something, because what you won't believe is just, a, let me see what date I sent that text. I uh, sent a text to a friend of mine. Mm. Oh, on February 2nd. Hey, did you by any chance go to Turkey or I don't know, buy this museum. I sent that to a friend of mine. And my friend said, no, it's been a while since I've been there. I was like, oh, I'm hearing there's like some chatter going on in Turkey. That was right before the earthquake. I have evidence of that. And in fact, Millie called me on the second and had a conversation about that. And I was like, well, that's weird. Almost like it's so weird that every time something totally wrong happens in my life, like I get rear-ended or I get drones flying out my window or anything, Millie's always on the phone with me. That is just like, so it's almost like she's been put on earth to be my eternal alibi when shit goes down. <laughs> but having said that, Things are starting to show their face, and you will see a lot of it toward the end of the month. What they want you to think is white supremacists are going to take out your energy grid because obviously the Russian and China narrative is not really working. And they can't use the China narrative because then it makes our military look weak because they let the balloon fly by. And the thing is, they didn't want the debris to explode over American soil because then there would have been too many American hands or eyes. And they were worried that someone might have gotten the debris and see that it was an American balloon and not a Chinese one. Hence why they waited for it to go to the coast, just like I said they would on Friday. You know while it was still floating, supposedly. It's all a show. Republicans apparently are boycotting Biden's State of the Union speech. Why? You could be there and maybe be in dreary outfits like the left. You don't have to be a baby and not show up. If you actually care about your country, you show up and you protest with sign like, not my president, or let's fix 2020. But instead, they're just going to... Uh, and then, you know, um, now the media is trying to turn it over as to uh, the Chinese surveillance device, you know, that was there. The GOP just clowned all over it, and it's such a big problem, you know. And now they're amplifying the anti-DeSantis rhetoric, like Florida is now a laboratory for fascism, right? And it's like, what? This is so crazy. Apparently, apparently, 
Ron DeSantis is not a mini Trump or some other diminutive. He's much more dangerous. Donald Trump has no ideology behind megalomania and deep desire to be an American God King. Well, you know, Trump King 24 sounds good. By comparison, DeSantis is far more intelligent and devious. He's an ideological fascist and racial authoritarian, almost like they're propping him up. So that people could be like, oh, the left hates him, so we love him. So they're just ramping it up because you know how that goes. Well, apparently, racism and white supremacy are a choice. <laughs> and it says DeSantis and his regimes thought crime attacks on African-American studies are Orwell's 1984 meets Birth of a Nation. This is the most insane stuff. This is the stuff that they're putting out. His revenge on Disney and this. They, they, they were going softball. Now they're coming a little bit harder because they need him to win. Now, you know what's really, really, really weird? If you notice, the Chinese World Economic For Food Program, um, the World Food Program is sponsored by Cargill out of Minnesota. And so, ironically, Klobuchar, Kiev Klobuchar, is now rising to the top of party leadership. You know, Kiev Klobuchar, the one that was in the picture with Lindsey Graham and McCain in Ukraine, right? The one that I could just kept putting out and people just kept taking like, oh, it's like theirs, right? Kiev Klobuchar, who's indirectly connected. Well, no, she is kind of directly connected with um, Rothschilds, right? from her staffers and, you know, some marriage stuff, whatever, $10 million of some contracts out of a closet. And it's just like, she owes money. It's just really bizarre. So now they're going to put Kiev Klobuchar to the top. It's like, it, why is it that they insist putting the most unlikable people forward? Like Kamala Harris is vice president. I can't get the picture out of my mind of her dancing and eating a pork chop. I can't. And that's ridiculous. Now we have Kiev Klobuchar, right? Who you want to make, you know, like the top of the party because apparently you think she's likable. She is extremely unlikable. And one would think, well, she's going up at the tops of the Democrat party, but they're destroying the GOP because it's one in the same and there's no difference. None, none. The fact that they're doing all this without fear tells you everything you need to know. We have more people, almost twice the, twice the amount of people that died in 9-11 died in the earthquake in Turkey and Syria. 7.8 magnitude. They are laundering money. This is identical. Like I said before, that earthquake is eerily familiar to the one in Haiti. They are all inserting. It's game over for Erdogan. He's out. You can consider him DOA. It's done. Prisons had people escape. And mind you, we had Biden release one of the masterminds of 9-11. And that was because, well, we need to blame someone when shit happens, right, Brennan? The guys you paid off weren't enough. It's the most disgusting thing I'd ever seen. Now, they're starting to demand that you have proof of age to access certain online portals. Now, they're saying that this is for security, that people have to um, upload their QR code or have a QR code in order to access porn sites. So weird. Now, another thing that I wanted to say is yesterday, if you remember, we talked about Pamela Anderson. I only briefly mentioned her because she did so great. But apparently, she's in the news in the independent just again. You can't make it up. You can't make it up. You just can't. Now, another weird thing is, and I'm going to leave you with this. 
Antonin Scalia was killed supposedly in a hunting accident, got shot or something, or had a heart attack. Who knows? The stories just change and the rumors or whatever. But did you know that Cheney actually shot a Texas attorney in a 2006 hunting trip? Mm-hmm. They were quail hunting. But he just died today. That's why it's news. I just wanted to say it's kind of weird. It was like the butt of all jokes back then when it happened, right? Where they were mocking the fact that he got shot. They were mocking the fact that he got shot. It's pretty interesting. So I'll leave you with that thought today. And I'll be publishing some stuff very soon. In the meantime, we have to remember that the only thing we can do is listen to our president and trust our gut. There is no other way that you will be able to keep focus. There is so much unnecessary news going on, so many things done at the same time, and that's purposeful to keep you constantly thinking of other things and going down rabbit holes. And that is the problem. Rabbit holes are the ones that are taking us. There's people with specific interests, like, you know, I have an interest in like, I don't know, mRNA vaccines or how do I cure myself or how did they do this or save the children or save that. And the thing is, it's almost as if we're so busy and they're pretending there's a war because there's something else going on that um, may be a little bit more daunting while you're being taken over. And that is the scariest one of them all. And here we go. 2022 wrapped up in six minutes. God bless everyone. Have a wonderful evening and trust your God more. And of course, uh, we've got Alex Jones live with Nick Fuentes, Ali Alexander, um, Vernon Jones. Let's go back live to the feed that we have right here. They're now inside the Capitol building as patriots are pouring in. I can't what? be managed. <laughs> yes. That's right. We're on the same. Free speech systems is now defunct, according to the Texas Secretary of State page.